Well, good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We want to look at verses 9 through 13 tonight. As we are working verse by verse uh, through the Scriptures. We are on lesson 1,114. <laughs> that's quite a few times I've been here. I mean, that's a lot of Wednesday nights through the years. I'm not sure how many years, but quite a few years. All right, well, let's uh, ask the Lord to bless our study together. Lord, again, we thank you for your word, your living word. Thank you for the the Holy Spirit, uh, who is the ultimate teacher. And so, Lord, I pray this be a profitable time as we uh, consider uh, what you had uh, the Apostle Paul under inspiration uh, correspond with the Thessalonians back here and the application it has for us where we live today as well. So we just commit our study to you now. pray for the evening, all the ministries, the Awana Youth Group Ministries as well, May they all be blessed of you. May the word of God go forth with power in a life-changing way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> well, you note uh, the outline here. We're talking about the day of the Lord, uh, the day of Christ, uh, the coming of Christ for the church. And we have worked our way down to chapter 3. Paul's rejoicing over Timothy's report. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. Paul was at Thessalonica for a short time. We read in Acts chapter 17, he was there for three Sabbaths. That's that's not very long, right? It's not very long to establish a church. Uh, Certainly not to talk about all the things they're talking about here as far as uh, the rapture and so forth. Covered a lot of ground in those three weeks. Uh, Some think he may have been there longer uh, because in Philippians it indicates maybe he received a a gift more than once while uh, he was there. But... We really don't know exactly how long he was there, but probably was not very long, uh, a month or so maybe. Uh, so at that point, he's run out of town. Persecution's happening at, at Thessalonica. Jews are kind of uh, spearheading this. And uh, then he's concerned as he goes on from there. Okay, we had kind of an initial splash here. There was a great response at Thessalonica, but... Will they stick? That's always the question, right? I mean, that is kind of the question. We've seen a lot of people make professions and then walk away. Uh, I think that's what's in his mind. Notice uh, what's in his upper, uh, in his mind, as we see in chapter 3, note verse 2, where he says, that They sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and, and encourage you concerning your faith. So there's a concern about their faith. And then you jump down to verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. He's concerned about their faith. And then go to uh, verse 6. Now Timothy has come to us and brought us good news of your faith. He's very concerned about this. And then again in verse 7. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith faith. So he's had some real concern, was lingering here, had to leave in short order. Yes, there was a great response initially, but there was concern whether they were going to stick. There was concern about their faith there. But uh, praise the Lord, he's very relieved, as we see in in verse 6 there. As I read that already, Timothy has come, brought us good news. That's a word that's normally used for the gospel, really good news. And what was this good news? Good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. And so, 
he is very relieved to see that they are continuing on. I think it's for this reason he's writing in chapter 1, verse 4, when he says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. In other words, a way of saying, uh, I'm convinced you're saved. And the reason is because of what he's heard back. The, the good report that has come from, from Timothy, as we have seen there. Well, the response now is one of thanksgiving and intercession as we get into our study tonight. 1 Thessalonians 3, 9 through 13. Paul's gratitude and intercession for the Thessalonians. And let's have somebody read verses 9 and 10. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, Vince? Yeah, 9 and 10. So the theme of rejoicing and joy uh, continues on here as he is celebrating uh, the report that he has gotten back from Timothy about how they are persevering on in the context of persecution. They hadn't fallen by the wayside. Remember how he said there earlier we were concerned uh, lest uh, their labor have been in vain. That was his concern as we saw in chapter 3 verse 5 there. But now uh, they're going on. They are showing that they are the real deal, and he is celebrating this. And notice, uh, he's giving God all the credit uh, for their steadfastness. What thanks can we render to God for you? So uh, he is celebrating what God has done in the form of a rhetorical question here in verses 9 and 10. When he says, uh, what thanks can we render to God for you? Uh, the word render means to pay back, and it's almost as if words are not sufficient to thank God properly for uh, what he is seeing in their lives at this point. And, uh, you know, uh, one thing we do owe God is thanksgiving. We, we should constantly be giving thanks to God. And, you know, for everything, but I see Paul especially emphasizing thanksgiving for people, for people, uh, for brothers and sisters. I think this should be a defining trait uh, in the lives of all believers. Um, whoops. Yeah, Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even when we're asking, Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known. Even in our asking, we should incorporate thanksgiving. And here in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we, we are called to be a thankful people for sure. Uh, there's a guy by the name of uh, Jerry Benjamin, and he has written a book that is titled, What is the First Indication of Turning Away from God? What do you suppose the premise of his book is? What is the first indication of turning away from God? There you go. That's it. Not being thankful. And, and his key verse in making the argument is here in Romans. Uh, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, it's uh, the most natural, depraved thing in the world to whine and complain and uh, gripe about absolutely everything all the time, right? <laughs> it's just not like a normal, natural tendency of the world out here to be just pouring forth thanksgiving, so grateful. Uh, it's just not, just not happening. So uh, I think, actually, I've said this for years, I think even having an attitude of gratitude as a way of life can be a powerful testimony to the world. I mean, what do you got to be thankful for? I mean, your car's got a flat tire, you're out of gas. I mean, 
it might be easy to complain, huh? But anyway, uh, in context here, though, he is really thanking God for these converts. He's especially thankful for the salvation of these uh, that he has led to the Lord. And so I think in all of our thanksgiving, certainly for material blessings, but for people. Praise the Lord for people. Thank the Lord for, for his people. And that's the emphasis here. Uh, and he says, uh, what thanks can we render to God for you? It's like we can't, we can't say thanks enough. We can't pay it back enough for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God. And so again, he's not rejoicing in himself. He's uh, really not rejoicing what he has done per se, but rejoicing what God has done. And I think we can certainly rejoice in how God uses us. And that's certainly in the context here. But the credit goes to God, and we know this, right? We know 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So then neither, is, neither, so then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters but God, who gives the increase. And so uh, we give all the credit to God. We give all the glory to God. We give all the thanks to God. And he says, uh, we, we rejoice uh, for your sake before our God. He's very conscious of uh, God's presence and, and giving him the the credit in, in his presence before our God. And then he says, verse 10, night and day praying exceedingly. So the thought continues here. This is an idiom of deep concern when he says night and day praying exceedingly. It's not like he never did anything else. Uh, we know he did, but he was, he was intense in prayer for them. You know what? New, new converts need prayer. We all need prayer all the time, but new converts really need prayer. And he's praying for them. Uh, the word praying is intense. It's present tense. It's an intense word. It means to, to beg, uh, to ask earnestly. And he says here, exceedingly, which is the idea of abundantly beyond all measure, uh, greatly. Uh, this is the idea. Is we, we are praying intensely in a great way for you. Uh, night and day praying exceedingly. Wow. You wonder what that really looks like in practical terms here. I mean, he's, we know he's praying. It's intense. And what is he praying about? That we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. He wants to have a face-to-face -face visit so that he can continue to build into these young converts. And uh, letters have their place. Praise the Lord for letters. Email has its place, maybe too. <laughs> Texting, right? Uh, these forms of communion. But there's nothing like a personal visit. And I, I, I know that's true in lots of situations. Uh, sometimes, especially if you're having a problem with somebody, uh, person, person to person. There's nothing better than that. I always say, don't write a letter unless you absolutely have to. It's not that there's never a place. I wouldn't say that. But, boy, I just, you can't sense the nuances, the tone. Uh, there's so much that goes in there. He, he really wants to see them face to face. And perfect, he says, what is lacking in your faith. The idea of to perfect is to put in order, uh, to uh, properly arrange, and uh, to complete what is needed to fill in the gaps of their faith. They're, they're new after all yet. They're, they're new converts. And so they need, some, uh, they need some maturity yet. And so he wants to see them. Now he's commended them. Remember, <laughs> he is commending them. Uh, we saw this in chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in sight of our God and Father. So he's remembering. Wow, they, they were intense. They were serious. 
And he said in chapter 3, verse 7, Therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Uh, on Timothy's report that they are continuing on. So much to commend them on. And he does commend them. But still there is room for growth. And uh, that's always true. But certainly for uh, pretty much uh, new converts here. Uh, what areas might uh, they need to uh, grow? Where, where might they be lacking in their faith? Well, we maybe have a hint in chapters 4 and 5. That's where he goes on. Uh, he fills in some things as far as the rapture, right? What we call the rapture chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, he also talks about the, uh, the need for uh, purity, sexual purity. Starts out the chapter that way. And then uh, issues of accountability as we get into chapter 5. So there are some things that they could be shored up on and be strengthened in as far as uh, their faith. And so that's what he's desiring to do, to show up, to, to strengthen them in their faith. Um, note, we know that God answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says wait. And sometimes he modifies the answer in keeping with the intercessory ministry of the Spirit. Anybody know what Romans 8.26 says? <clears throat> That's right. Sometimes we just don't know how to pray, right? And so... Uh, there's lots of times I have that kind of, Lord, I don't know quite how to pray about this situation. So sometimes you just don't know. Apparently, God did answer Paul's prayer for a return visit, but not immediately. In fact, it appears it was not until the next missionary, the third journey, about five years later, that Paul was able to again visit Macedonia and presumably Thessalonica. In the meantime, we find that God did use Paul via the letter to build up their faith. So the, the letter kind of had to do for a while. He wanted to see them face, that's his request, Right? I think God did answer that prayer probably on the next missionary journey, but it was quite some time later, five years later, to see that prayer answered in that sense. Um, okay. <clears throat> in the follow-up letter uh, to 1 Thessalonians, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians that their faith grows exceedingly. Wow, that's a good report. So in a sense, God did answer the objective and concern of Paul's prayers, but he did it in a little different way than what Paul was thinking and praying about. The lesson here is that we keep on praying and God works it out according to his own will, according to his own sovereign timing. God may do it the way we are specifically hoping and praying, or he may do it another way. But it's all good because the object of prayer is to see God work out his will for his glory. It's not about us getting our will done, but seeing his will done. So uh, that is interesting, though. Uh, 2 Thessalonians, which we think was written not too long after 1 Thessalonians, and he says uh, that their faith is growing exceedingly. So really, the concerns that he had, I think they've responded well to this letter here. Yeah. Yeah, so I, a lot of times, you know, I'll give an example of uh, second. Uh, the Lord will answer the intent of the prayer of the person who Right. That's a good illustration. Yep. Amen. That's right. Answered prayer. Safety was the main concern. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Amen. That's that's good. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, okay. 
uh, let's see here. I think that's all I wanted to say. Anything else on those verses, 9 and 10? Yeah. No, oh, that's okay. Yes, it's a rhetorical Exactly. I think that is the nuance there. Exactly. That he's like, words cannot express it. I mean, um, there's, there's, no, there's no real answer. It's a rhetorical question. We, we, can't, we can't give thanks enough. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. Anyone else? All right, let's press on. Let's have somebody read uh, verse 11. Who wants to read verse 11 for us? Uh, Anita, yeah. Okay, got another specific request here, right? Uh, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Uh, God is the idea of a supreme being, right? Your, your God is the, the one you consider a, a supreme being, has authority, has power over you. And uh, Father, uh, our God is a, a father to us, which means what? When you think of a father figure, what do you think of? Authority. Yep, that's true. Uh, provision. Yeah, he takes care of us. Absolutely. Teacher. Teacher. Yep, that's good. Structs us, guides us. Yeah, all of these things enter into the father figure. And even... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you thinking about? Well, even more basic, a father has children, right? We have a personal relationship with this God. He's, he's God, but he's our father. We have a child relationship with our father. So even more basic than, than some of the things that we've been mentioning, we start right there. Um, but yeah, all of these things. Uh, he takes uh, sovereign care of us. Uh, you know, he disciplines us. You know, that's what fathers do, right? Fathers, they are in charge of discipline. And mothers too, but... Uh, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ... Full name, what we call often the full name for Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, Christ is really a title more than a name. But uh, Lord means master, uh, means sovereign authority when used of Jesus. And when used of the, the risen Christ, it always has the concept of deity involved there too. Uh, God master is really the idea of Lord when used of the, of the risen Lord. And then uh, Jesus means God's savior. Uh, Yahweh is salvation, uh, you know, Joshua, Old Testament, uh, uh, Yeshua in the New Testament, uh, Jesus, uh, God's Savior. Uh, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins, Matthew one twenty one. So it's the idea of Savior, God's Savior. Christ means what, literally? Anointed one. There you go, anointed one. Uh, that goes back to the Old Testament. It's right out of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had uh, people that were anointed. They were chosen. They were the special chosen one for a special role that God had for them in terms of leadership, whether it be a king, whether it be a priest, uh, those two in particular. Christ is the anointed one, the most special one, the chosen one who would come as the deliverer, who would come ultimately as the king, who would sit on David's throne. And so he is uh, the Christ, the one who comes and fulfills the Old Testament prophecies in terms of this special coming deliverer. 
so our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, um, the Greek literally says the Lord of us, Jesus. There's an emphasis on his lordship here. Uh, the Lord of us, Jesus. Um, there's a real unity here. The grammatical structure of this verse in the Greek is significant. In the Greek, the word himself is first. It's in the emphatic position, and it is singular. The verb direct is also singular. So what we have is the singular pronoun himself and the singular verb direct, both connected with the plural subject of our God and Father, of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This linkage emphasizes the unity of the Father and the Son in the Godhead, and thus their equality. So they're linked together here uh, in this uh, prayer request. More literally, a more literal rendering of the verse would read, Now may himself, our God and Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, direct our way to you. Kind of choppy, but, but literal. So uh, the point is, uh, you know, you have these connected. Uh, God the Father and the, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's praying to them in a singular way, uh, as it were. Now, normally we think about praying to God the Father in the name of Jesus. I mean, he, Jesus is the mediator. We come to God the Father through Jesus. But uh, Jesus is included here, uh, very closely linked with the Father here. Uh, God works through prayer, and th that's the emphasis here. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus uh, Christ direct our way to you. So again, he, he wants to see them face to face, and he's asking specifically that God would direct them uh, to uh, where they can see them. Okay. Um, let's see. I don't know if I... Maybe this? Yes. In terms of prayer, don't miss the import of what is being said here. Paul, in effect, is praying to both God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. No Orthodox Jew, especially one with Paul's background and stature, would ever have prayed to anyone other than God. To do so would be... Uh, absolute blasphemy, yet Paul's prayer is directed to Jesus just as surely as to God the Father. The only reasonable conclusion is that for Paul, Jesus was equally God, just as much as God the Father. So, I mean, he's putting him on the same level here in terms of his, his prayer at this point. He's linking them. All right, any thoughts, other thoughts there before we go on to uh, verses 12 and 13 here? All right, who do we have to uh, read 12 and 13 for us? Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, yeah, Amy. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Okay. So here he brings in, I say, in every chapter we have the coming of the Lord emphasized. And here we have it, again, in verse 13. But notice what uh, he's praying about. And, and for Paul, he kind of constantly puts himself at that great day when we're all going to give an account before the Lord. And that's what's in view here again. And he's praying specifically now for them. He's praying for them that they'd be able to, uh, that the Lord would direct uh, their path to, to these Thessalonians. But uh, here in verse 12, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Kind of almost redundant. Make you increase and abound. So kind of superfluous. It's kind of like repetitive. Um, the idea is, may the Lord make you grow more and more in love. 
And, uh, you know, there are some, uh, some animals that never stop growing, right? Yeah, there are animals that never stop growing. There is a certain type of kangaroo that never stops growing. I think it's called a red kangaroo. Elef- elephants never stop growing. Crocodiles never stop growing, right? Yeah, this is true. You can look it up. Google me. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, crocodiles can live to be 100 years old. They can get to be uh, 20 feet long and, you know, over 2,000 pounds. So, I mean, you live long enough, you'll grow big. And they do if they live long enough. But uh, here the idea is that we should keep growing. The believers should keep growing. His prayer for them is they keep growing. You know, you say, well, boy, I finally reached uh, the point where I don't need to grow anymore in my love life. No, I don't think so. Now, there's always room for more growth, yes? Are saying eventually we can look like that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a spiritual application. <laughs> uh, hopefully we continue to grow, though, that our love life abounds. Notice the, the language here. They make you increase and abound. Uh, grow more and more in love. The, the word love here is agape. Uh, this is the intense word for love. There's a number of words used for love in relationship to God, but this is the intense one, like used in 1 Corinthians 13 and, and used by John in 1 John and so forth. Uh, love uh, is to be the defining trait for us as believers. The fruit of the Spirit is, first thing mentioned is love. Kind of everything flows out of that. Uh, love, defining reality. The opposite of love, I think, is uh, selfishness. Self-orientation, me first. Uh, agape love thinks of the other person first, uh, considers the other person's highest good, not, not me, it's not self-oriented, it's other-oriented. And so he wants them to grow in this. And boy, this is always convicting. Uh, I've got a long ways. Sometimes they ask, do I really care about people? Am I really thinking about others? Thinking about me? Um, Christ gave us a new commandment. Right? We know it. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Well, how? As I have loved you. There's the, there's the new emphasis. I mean, you had an old commandment in the Old Testament to love, the, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's in the Old Testament. That's in the books of Moses. But here, a new, a new higher standard. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. So we are to love one another just as Christ loved us. And he says, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love uh, one uh, for one another. This is the defining trait. <clears throat> this is the key mark uh, of those who are true believers. And uh, we should be praying for one another to this end. Um, none of us have arrived. We all need prayer uh, for our love life, right? We would be loving as we should. You pray for Pastor Dwight to love, help Pastor Dwight to love. <laughs> I need, I need it. I need prayer. Uh, you know, it's, it's real easy uh, to get kind of self-centered. What's that? You're going to give me a hug? <laughs> well, that's your love, right? I need to give you one back. <laughs> yeah, we all need, we all need to prayer here for, to be loving. That's for sure. Uh, we're all, we all still got the flesh. It's, it's, you know, you think about, you know, I'm thinking about Sharon went to heaven. You know, Sharon Hands went to heaven. I just can't imagine what that's going to be like, you know, perfect love, no sin. Um, you know, down here, people get in this crazy flesh fights, even Christians. And, 
not so in heaven. Uh, how's that going to be? Mm, I look at that guy cross-eyed anymore. It's just everything's fine uh, all the time. Uh, it's, it's just kind of hard to imagine, but it's going to be glorious. Um, we have here an emphasis on uh, one another, uh, you know, as we uh, look at this verse, uh, abound in love to one another, the first thing he mentions. And uh, so note the mention of love here is first in reference to the body of Christ. We are to love one another. Uh, f- following our love for God, the main emphasis in the New Testament is on brotherly love. Uh, there are more than 30 one another's in the New Testament, but loving one another is emphasized by far the most. I mean, a lot of one another's, you know, be kind to one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, all, all, all these one another's, but love one another is the most frequently mentioned one another. Uh, we ought to be uh, loving one another. And then uh, love insists on another, right? Love does not happen in a vacuum. If people refuse to be body life oriented, it shows that they know little, uh, if anything, about God's love because God's love is shared and demonstrated primarily in the context of body life. I think that'll bear out, right? New Testament. Is that, is that accurate as far as, you know, challenge me, you know, is this true? Uh, that in the New Testament, uh, it's demonstrated primarily in the context of body life. Uh, it is, uh, cer- certainly it starts at home. But when you think about the one another's, I mean, that's a body life emphasis in relationship to the the body of Christ. And certainly, if it's not happening at home, it won't happen at church either. If it's happening at church, I guess you could put on an act at church. But anyway, certainly starts at home. But body life emphasis, uh, it is the sharing of one another life. So if one is serious about God's love, they will be serious about body life. Uh, they, They go hand in hand. I think that you cannot separate uh, love from one another here, right? Now, what he says, he's praying for them to increase and abound in love to one another. And then he says to all, who might that be? Everybody. You think we should show love to these uh, pagans out here? (laughs) Boy, they need it, right? Uh, They need to see the love of God, Uh, if we don't show it to them, how are they going to see it? Uh, yeah, to, and to all. Uh, yes, one another, but to all. Uh, you know, even your enemies. Love your enemies. I mean, that's a challenge, right? I can see loving your friends, loving the brothers, sisters, enemies. <laughs> yeah, to all and to all. Uh, now, we do make a distinction. I like to make this distinction. Note that the New Testament does make a distinction between love of the brethren and and love of the lost. There is brotherly love, which also involves accountability to one another. You know, we don't hold the world accountable out here, right? Say, well, you're living immorality, but since uh, you're living on my street, I'm going to hold you accountable. Uh, No, we don't hold the world accountable. Uh, They're they're not God's child. So, you know, it's it's a holy family, the family of believers, and, and we hold each other accountable, which is part of real love. Uh, brotherly love, which involves accountability to one another. And then there is evangelistic love, in which we reach out with the love of Christ to the lost. But note the right hand of fellowship is reserved for fellow believers. Uh, With the lost, we walk this line of evangelistic love, and yet at the same time, we practice biblical separation, as Paul emphasizes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 
So there is, uh, you know, we, we do love all, and, and we want the love of Christ to be on display for all to see. And we don't want to respond in the flesh to anybody. And yet there's a special bond of love between brothers. There's, there's a right hand of fellowship that we don't have with the world. All right. Um, then to finish out here, verse 12, just as we do to you. Wow, what a statement. Just as we do to you. He said, we want you to be abounding in love. And uh, we are the example. Just as we do to you. Uh, I wonder if I could put my name in there. Uh, love just as I do. Uh, I'm, a, I'm the model here. Say, well, I'm too humble for that. Maybe I'm too honest for that. Uh, but Paul is really kind of putting himself and his team up as, as a model here uh, to abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. And so this is kind of the challenge, and he's praying to, for them to that end, that they would be loving uh, in this way. All right, any other thoughts there before we finish out? Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of complicated situations. In recent days, I had a situation where somebody called me, and the uh, situation was a uh, a spouse is suicidal, and the uh, the other partner in the marriage is concerned that they might get killed, and maybe want to come to my house. And uh, so I was thinking about this. <laughs> Love here. How's that work here? Uh, and I said to my wife, I said, well, we can't just think with our emotions here. Uh, I have to think about the whole thing. Other people did not want to take them in because they're afraid that the husband is, if he finds out where the wife's at, is going to come and knocking on their door. And since he's suicidal, you know, you don't, you want to weigh everything. And I think that's what, you know what you're saying too, maybe from a different nuance there. But we do need to. Not just think with our emotions. We've got to keep our head in the game. And, and, and really just seek the Lord's face. Lord, what do you want us to do? We're, we're yours, you know. Uh, we're your servants. But you, you weigh things. You think things through. You pray things through. So, yeah, it's not just an emotional thing. That's for sure. Uh, notice what he's praying for here. Uh, verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That's a mouthful. Um, we know that there is going to be a judgment for believers. Uh, you're going to stand before God on judgment day and give an account, as am I. In fact, my account you know, is higher for us elders. Right? Especially me. Man, as much as I talk, I'm really going to have to give an account. But uh, in terms of sin, <laughs> this isn't funny, Andrew. I'm serious. Uh, <laughs> uh, as far as sin, the punishment for sin, that's been paid for. Right? For us as believers, we, we don't pay for sin. Jesus paid it all. 
I mean, there's no, there's no penalty for sin. I'm not concerned about paying for my sin. The issue of believer's judgment is God's going to evaluate the quality of our service. And then he's going to reward us or withhold a loss of reward depending on the quality of our service. So it's all about service. And here's what's in view here. Uh, his desire, and he's praying for them to abound in love so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Now, this word establish means to, to strengthen. It's actually the Greek word from which we get our English word uh, steroid. Uh, it means to make strong, uh, that he may make strong your hearts blameless in holiness. Now, as we think about hearts, it's, it's kind of a general word that you may establish your hearts blameless. A heart is a comprehensive term referring to the whole of the inner life. It's the inner core of a person's spiritual life relating to the intellect, will, and emotions. First uh, Corinthians 3 brings out that God will judge believers according to their works. And yet in 4.5, it is clear that the basis of the judgment will be related to the heart that motivated those works. Works are the result of what happens in the heart. So if you trace back our works, what we do, you trace it back to the motivation of the heart. And so when he's talking about here, uh, establish your hearts blameless, ultimately God is going to evaluate our works that are based in, in what was happening in our hearts ultimately. Um, now, when he says uh, establish your hearts blameless, he's not talking about absolute perfection because nobody can live in terms of absolute perfection. Um, I think the idea is when we're living blamelessly, when we're abounding in love and, and we're living blamelessly, it means it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. There's, there's no glaring discrepancy. And that's, that's what we want in our lives. But notice what he says here, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. In holiness. Uh, now, the word holy means to be set apart, in set apartness. And he's connecting closely here, love and holiness. They, they really go together. I think if you're really living out love as you should be, you're living a holy life. Uh, if you're really living out love, uh, you are treating people the way they should be treated which is really the essence of a set-apart life. Uh, Romans 13, Owe no one anything except to love one another. He who loves another has fulfilled the law. You're not doing anything wrong. You're living a holy life if you're loving. Uh, the commandments, You shall not commit adultery, murder, steal, bear false witness, covet. If there's any other commandment, all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. You're, if you love properly, you'll be behaving you, you'll, be, you'll be what you ought to be. You'll be living a set-apart life as you ought to be doing. Same thing leading up to the, uh, um, the Spirit-filled passage or the uh, uh, fruit of the Spirit passage in Galatians 5. Uh, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty only. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Through love serve one another. Let this be your guide. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So uh, he, he's emphasizing this. If you really want to be what God wants you to be, uh, be loving. There's a linkage here, as I say, uh, as I mentioned before. There's linkage here between love and holiness. 
so many miss this. Many now claim that acceptance of Im- immorality is love, right? We want to be lovers, not haters. You know, haters like, you know, judge, you know, haters. Uh, they take no stand here. Uh, and they want to say, this is loving. You know, we, we don't take a stand. That's loving. The problem is that worldly love is not biblical love. You know, it's, an, it's another L word, right? It's just lust, right? Uh, true biblical love lines up with holiness. That's the point. This is what Paul is emphasizing. It is a love that develops holiness in the life. This is the kind of love and holiness God will be looking for on Judgment Day. Note that Paul immediately goes on to address matters of sexual purity as seen in chapter 4. That's where he goes. He's talking about love and holiness here. And the very next verse in chapter 4, he's going to get into this whole issue of sexual purity. Don't talk to me about love if you're not talking about holiness. What kind of love are we talking about? It's got to be a holy kind of love. That's that's what God's looking for. Uh, Hearts that are blameless, that's what they're motivated by. Uh, Not a fleshy, lustful thing but uh, true love that is governed by, by holiness. And notice uh, the emphasis here. Uh, before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Um, here again, uh, the ultimate issue is before our God. It's what's going to come out before God. And uh, may establish our hearts blameless and holy before our God and Father. And when is this great... Um, Appearing going to be. When are we going to give an account? Well, it relates to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. The word coming here is that Greek word parousia, uh, which was a, a word that was used in relationship to a personal appearance. It was used of a, of a dignity a, a coming on the scene, like a king, a royal visit from a king. Uh, it's that idea, uh, a, a personal presence. When, when the Lord shows up personally, now, this is the, the, the coming of Christ. And that's when the evaluation is going to take place. I mean, Christ is coming for us. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord. And then what are we doing? Well, we're going back to uh, the Bema seat, uh, where we're all going to give an account. We must all uh, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5.10. And so that's what's in view here. Notice again, he talks about our Lord Jesus Christ. Twice he talks about our God and Father, and then twice our Lord Jesus Christ. Both times our, verse 11 and verse 13, uh, making that pretty much that same emphasis there. And then he says, uh, with, all, with all his saints, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with, with all his saints. Uh, the saints are coming back with Jesus. They're going to be connected with their bodies. It's going to be a glorified body, you know, that is the result. But uh, Jesus is coming with all of his saints. Uh, The word saints, uh, there's some discussion as to who the saints are here. Uh, The word hagios, uh, translated saint, uh, means holy ones. It's used of angels as well as believers. It may refer to both here. It could. However, this exact form is used everywhere else in the New Testament to refer to redeemed humans, and therefore I would lean to this view. Uh, Paul seems to be saying that not only will those he is addressing be there, but also all the church saints who have died, which would correspond to his emphasis in 4.16. Um, the Lord will come with, with his uh, saints. Yes, 
Yes, it is. That's right. And where he's going there. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in view here in 1 Thessalonians 3.13 is the final accounting that believers will give before God in terms of the stewardship of this life. The issue is rewards, and the basis of evaluation will be our faith life, our love life, and the holiness of life, which are all interconnected. And uh, I think i got one more slide here. So Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians, their faith. You see it there, verse 10. Turn my page here. Um, Night and day praying, seeing that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So he's praying about their, their faith life, their love, that they may abound more and more, as we saw in 3.12, and then their holiness, 3.13. Uh, that's a pretty good uh, prayer list for somebody, right? And praying for their faith and for their love and for their holiness. Well, Praise the Lord. Uh, we're looking for the blessed hope. You know, I see these, this one guy's writing about, you know, some people have a problem with dispensationalists like me, and they talk about us kind of being uh, locked into escapism. You know, I call it escapism. And I say, well, yeah. It depends how you want to define it. But, you know, I am looking for the blessed hope. You're not denying me the blessed hope, are you? <laughs> looking, for the, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, I want to live accordingly, though. And I know you do too. Because when he comes, it's going to be glorious to see him. And, but there is this thing that the New Testament, and Paul really emphasizes taking this seriously, as far as giving an account. Uh, we want the Lord to be pleased with our lives when we see him, and when he sees us, when he evaluates us, that uh, he will be pleased and we will be celebrating what, what he has done through us. Uh, I, I heard this some years ago. I never forgot it. A football coach one time challenged his team before a Super Bowl. Men, one hour of work, a lifetime of glory. Brothers and sisters, a short time of faithful service here in this life and eternity of glory in the kingdom. It will be worth it all. Live for Jesus. Let his love and holiness shine through you every day. That's a good prayer for us, right? It's a good prayer for, for me to pray for you, you to pray for me that the, the love of God, uh, the holiness of God would be under, the holy love of God would be shining through us in our lives. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Amen. Amen. John? You know, I think th this particular guy is saying, you know, we're emphasizing too much the coming of the Lord. And, uh, you know, that, that's too much of an emphasis here. We need to emphasize just living our life in the here and now. And don't be thinking about, hey, we're going to uh, escape what we're going through here. Huh? What? Well, yeah. Well, yeah. But I think he's talking about it in the here and now. You know, we don't want to be, uh, and, you know, he's probably got a point in some way. Some people get into sensationalism. You know, he's coming, setting dates and this kind of thing. They go too far with it. Uh, you know, the thing is, like I say, we're to live ready all the time. We, we are to have an anticipation. We see that all the way through the New Testament. And yet, Jesus may not come in our lifetime. Uh, I was saved as a fairly young man. I was, what, 21 years old. I thought, sure, he was going to come by the time I was 25 or so anyway. <laughs> yeah. In a way, it makes sense in light of Acts 1, you know, when the 
Right. 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 Yeah, just just focus on the mission. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet, you know, I think about like the Thessal- there's a balance in here, as I know, I, I know. Right. I think about the Thessalonians. You know, he says in chapter one, verse ten, uh, that they were uh, saved to wait for his son from heaven. I mean, yeah, they were they were there waiting, and yet as we know, you get the second Thessalonians. Some of them started mute. Um, mooching off one another, weren't willing to work. Hey, you know, this is veg. The Lord's coming soon here anyway. Uh, you know, so there is a balance in these things for sure. I don't want to be too hard on my brother who's calling me an escapist. But anyway. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Okay. Very good. Let's share some prayer items.